From the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Uh, This is our second episode. If you're joining us for the first time, I'll give you a little bit of rundown on how we do things here at Don't Push Pause. Um, We are both lovers of film and specifically lovers of film of the 80s. So we will pick one film of... 80s, 90s, you know. It could be, yeah. And we'll use that one film and we'll discuss it, discuss certain aspects of the movie. Uh, Then we'll go to our pick of the week. And Lindsay and I will both pick one movie. We'll try to connect it if we can to our main film of discussion. And it'll usually be a movie we don't necessarily think is great, but it's one that we, you know, enjoy and we think deserves a little love and attention. One of those that's been on TV a lot that you never, you know, actually finish or follow through with, but it's pretty decent. And then uh, we end each podcast with what we've uh, called our Murray moment. And Lindsay, do you want to talk a little bit about how that goes down? Sure. Um, so we both love Bill Murray, as does the rest of the universe, pretty much. I've loved and adored that man since I could form sentences and comprehend television. So we end each podcast with a little tidbit about maybe something that happened to Billy Murray, um, and relate it somehow, if possible, to our main feature or some aspect of our main feature. And I never know what you're going to do for these Murray moments, so it's always fun for I me to find I always want to out. tell you, and yeah. I'm like, no, i got to keep it to I, I like I like waiting until the, till the day of. It's a little bit of pressure, but I'm, I'm totally fine with it because I love him so much. So we've got a pretty good show uh, today. We're going our, our movie that we've chosen is Joel Schumacher's 1987, a very stylish mm-hmm. uh, vampire flick, The Lost Boys. A little sexy. It's a little sexy. Yeah. A lot sexy. I mean, really, yeah. And uh, for our pick of the weeks, uh, my pick. Great hair. Great yeah. hair in Lost Boys. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Um, our pick of the week, uh, mine for this week is going to be Lucas, uh, also with Corey Haim in a lead role. And what's your pick of the week? Um, and mine is Lethal Weapon, uh, directed by uh, uh, Richard Donner, who's the executive producer on Lost Boys and also had the same casting director, uh, which I'll talk actually a little bit more about later. So we'll get to our pick of the week and our Murray moment here in a little bit, but uh, let's uh, first get into why we picked Lost Boys as our uh, main topic for our second episode here. The first thing I'll say is this is just a fun movie. I've This is a movie I grew up on and it is one that I think it's aged really well, and it, it just continues to be a fun movie for me. Yeah, I think aside from, I mean, the obvious, you know, fashion differences, this movie holds up. It doesn't, um, I'm never bored in it. I think it has great comedic elements to it, even though I don't consider it a comedy. IMDb considers it part of part comedy, but I don't know if I do. Yeah, I I mean, it's funny. It's yeah, Corey Haim yeah. and Corey Feldman. I feel like it is. It fits into that very few films that were able to work Pull that, that horror comedy subgenre without hybrid. without total scary moviness of being like yeah. a comedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, for me, um, I think Lost Boys is a fun horror light movie. I'm always endlessly entertained by it. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, it's one of those movies that to me there, and there's a few, there's quite a few movies like this, but it's a movie where the cast, everybody went on to become pretty well-known actors, but this is seeing them all in the beginning of their career. So just in that watching it, it's huge for them um, and everybody in is so good, but it, it is really fun to see this cast in particular. I think the, the casting, is super important in general for films but in this one it was it was needed like very much so needed i think that will be part of our discussion we'll talk yeah. a little bit about the cast we'll talk a little bit about joel schumacher's direction this is a very stylish interesting visionary yeah film talk um, about some types of vampires yeah talk about some of the themes 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be a fun episode. Um, before we kick it off, though, we'll we'll do a little clip. But before a clip, just in in the event, we always this is always like a precautionary measure in the event that uh, someone is unfamiliar oh, with yeah. the plot of the movie. If you kind of just give us just the shortest, sweetest little summary of what the Lost Boys is about. Sure. Two brothers and their mom are moving across, well, I guess not across country, they're moving to another town and happen to move into the one town in California, at least that we know about, that is the murder capital or considered the murder capital um, and also um, riddled with vampires. I love uh, the introduction of Santa Carla being the murder capital. It's like... Uh, yeah. When they get there, uh, Jason Patrick's character asks the guy, uh, hey, any jobs around here? And he's like, nothing legal. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I, there's, a, there's another good like quote. Even, even the jobs are nefarious. Yeah. Um, as far as it being the murder capital, uh, I think the, um, the, the family goes to live with, it's her father, right? Father? Uncle? Her father, yeah. Her yeah. eccentric father. Eccentric. I mean, he's he's kind of a little light of life in there he's he's cute um they go to live with him and their Corey Haim is like we move we moved to the murder capital of the U.S. what and he's like well, let's just say that if all the dead bodies were to uh all of a sudden raise up there'd be one hell of a population problem and, and if that happened a population uh, problem would be the least of anyone's concern yeah that would but... be not be the major issue at that but uh so a lot of fun things to talk about in this film uh we'll go to a clip and then we'll be back to discuss some lost boys you're creature of the night michael just like out of a comic book you're a vampire michael my own brother a goddamn shit-sucking vampire oh you wait till mom finds out buddy sammy wait sam stay back just wait let me talk wait a minute sam So before we get into The Lost Boys, I'd like to talk a little bit about the director, Joel Schumacher. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think that this movie is, it's pretty stylish and I think right away, I hate to use the word generic for a lot of movies, but there are, there are, there were a lot of, there are a lot of movies that come out and they're, they're basic. I mean, they- Pretty prepackaged, you know. It doesn't mean that they're expect. bad or anything, but this- I think Lost Boys could have been one of those movies. It has like a particular look and a particular vibe and a particular edginess that I don't think maybe another director would have mined out of this this script. And so I just want to talk a little bit about Joel Schumacher being he he's made some he's kind of like a jack of all trades. Yeah, like I've, he's done all genres, done And looking small them up films, I'm like, "Oh yeah, films. I love that movie actually." Yeah. Um, um Falling Down. We were talking about Falling Down, the Falling Client. The client uh, is has always been a favorite. Even even like, say what you want, but like Flatliners, it was an okay movie. Like when it came out, it was fine. Yeah. It was totally fine and and new and fresh. Again, um, another movie that I think directed by somebody else would have it would haven't had that vi- mm-hmm. feel. You know, it's got a dark kind of like The Lost Boys. It has there's a lot of style. It's a stylish movie. It's very stylish. It's very it's um details are being paid attention to that maybe could just be uh pushed aside or not even really thought about. Um but I but I also think that he's a director that uh he has a hand for handling actors and characters like he did Tigerland which I think is a very it's a very smaller film mm-hmm. that is very dependent upon performance and just people talking with each other and same with a little bit with the movie falling down even though it's kind of an action movie but these interactions and yeah. i think he he's one of those directors that can make a stylish film can direct actors but also is one of the few you know he's like this like big hollywood director i mean he mm-hmm. is directing well i mean he's still directing television now and he's well into his 70s so it's I think this movie was his big, one of his big... Was it like his fourth film? I think it was his fourth film, but I think this was his first, sort of what catapulted him into that Hollywood figure. But I mean, he was already 
well known as a director that could handle like a bigger movie. Yeah, um, like he in, did. What was it? Saint Elmo's Fire before that. Yeah, Saint Elmo's Fire and DC Cab and mm-hmm. um, and you know and he's gone on to do like pretty big like The Client we talked about, Time to Kill, which was a huge yeah huge. Movie. All of these too. Now that we're like saying them out loud, all of them have, including Lost Boys, have this like kind of like gritty, sweaty realness yeah. to them. And he also seems to like kind of uh, be drawn more towards stories that have maybe an ensemble cast too, where yeah. the characters are playing off of each other. Yeah, there's not one solitary person. Except that, for falling down, but that's a whole yeah, other animal sure. by itself. Um, but yeah, I think you know it's it's worth noting Joel Schumacher's a, a talented director and yeah, has had like this very long career filmography. But uh, enough about enough about his other movies. Let's get into the Lost Boys, and mm-hmm. uh, just starting off with him directing this film. Immediately, this movie to me, uh, just the way it starts with the music, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Sure. Um, the music, the I love that it starts out on the boardwalk. Yeah, soaring over, and we open up on this city, Santa Carla, and. It, it just it has a feeling right away of this is this interesting we're going into this world this is like a world um, uh, when i w- when i was a youngster and even i'm sure my brother probably felt this way too but but being a kid and like seeing that world it was like oh my god i want to be there what is this place yeah yeah i i do think it's funny like the uh the santa carla is or Corey Haim and Jason Patrick being brothers that moved there uh-huh. with their mom. Uh, they're like, oh, this, you know, it's to them. They're kind of acting like it's a sort of like country bumpkin town. But yeah, uh, yeah I remember as a kid watching this since like they open on this Ferris wheel and there's like people with piercings and tattoos and like a live band's playing yeah. and like they're playing cool music and there's bonfires and bikers. And it just seems like a pretty interesting place to it go. Was- it doesn't seem boring. It was uh, being a country bumpkin, like fr- the g- grew up in a small town where a world like that was n- not anything that could ever be actualized. Um, seeing that was like, oh my god, I'm gonna move to California. Oh my god! But I, I do like that this movie right right away. Uh, it's gripping. You know, we set up the the you get into this city, you feel who these kids are. Mm-hmm. Uh, right away, they set up the Frog Brothers, who become the 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 sort of vampire hunters. Uh, they set up the biker gang, which were like um, the Frog Brothers. Um, it's immediately like dorks are embraced. They are celebrated. They are smart, and they yeah. know what is going on in that town. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the movie sets itself up pretty quickly within the first 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. but not in a real forced way. It's like, it feels real natural. It, this movie moves really fast. I think in the beginning, um, I think it does Mm -hmm. like sort of slow down a little bit. Um, once we get into the storyline, but yeah, I, I, I just think the first 30 minutes of this movie, I'm getting a real sense of like the environment that they're in, in these, who these vampires are like, they're young kids. They they look cool, um, and even in the advertisements, I remember seeing was it's like sleep all day, party all night. It's fun to be a vampire. Yeah. It was like yeah. the tagline. Made me want to be a vampire. Yeah, uh, yeah. And especially at that party that they go to in like the first eleven minutes, where there's that sexy saxophone guy that's oiled up that yeah. everyone knows that scene from Tim this Capello. He's actually a very talented Tim musician. Tim Capello right is here. Uh, he's awesome. Um, and yeah, he did. I think he, again, we'll talk about music, but composed that song and mm-hmm. appeared in the film, which is another thing I like about the movie. I feel like this movie is now what, 30 something years old, and this movie still feels hip to me. Like the music, the so style. Cool. It it doesn't seem, it does not one that I go back and I think, oh, this is like actually kind of Oh, people cheesy. thought yeah. that this was like I do, hip? Yeah, I do feel that this movie still stands on its you own. You definitely feel like the like these main vampires, that they that they are cool. Even yeah. even the Frog Brothers, even like Corey Haim, that's kind of a, a little little dweeby dork. Like. But again, it's even that. It's, it comes off fun. It doesn't come off stupid to me. It doesn't come off as cheesy anything. All Everything that 
is presented in the world of the Lost Boys, I feel is 100% believable, including vampire culture. And I also do like that this movie, and we talked a little bit earlier about how everybody is was the age that they're playing in the movie, uh-huh. but also they do play them like teenagers, like whenever Michael first sort of gets gets turned and he's got the sunglasses on and his mom's like, can you clean up around here? And he's just like, yeah. oh, God. God, um, Mom. All you know, right. they, I like that they do play them as teenagers in this movie and Corey Haim's sort of hyperness and exci- mm-hmm. excitableness. Um, he, Very much a kid. Yeah. yeah, he's he's cool, but he's a kid. And, and I, I do like that uh, that the teenagers, they even though they're vampires, they, they, they goof around with each other because I'm assuming that they were turned as kids. Yeah, they're, they 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 seem very vampires. new. You yeah. kind of so mentioned that earlier. Goofing, yeah, where they're goofing with each other, um, but I also do like the fact that, and I, I, I think about this a lot when I watch movies. When you have a movie that has adults, a significant adult role, and then you have a movie that has like significant teenage roles, in the balance of that, because I think that a lot of movies will, if it's about teenagers, then the the, the adults seem like throwaway characters mm-hmm. um, or vice versa. But this is a movie that I feel uh, there's that perfect dichotomy. Like when we go to Max and Diane Weiss's character, she seem you know, she has a depth to her and they, oh, they yeah. spend time letting you know where she's coming from. And even though, even though it's so tiny in the movie, it's very sparse in the movie. They're all strong moments with with Diane Weist. Yeah, with Diane Weist, I love her, and I mean, yeah, she, it's amazing to me that she agreed to do this. Agreed movie. to do this movie. <laughs> I mean, because I think this is a good movie. I think the script is good. It's yeah, a, it's a fun movie. But book because this is a movie where she have must have saw in the script that th- this is a real role here. This isn't some yeah. It's a pivotal part of the story. It's like not a throwaway the, movie. Yeah, this movie really does a good job of showing what it's like being a teenager outcast, what it's like being an adult, uh, you know, and these worlds coming together. And and it doesn't ever uh, do like a, a Dawson's Creek type of thing where we, where we kind of morph into one, where kids are adults and adults are kind of teenagers in some way where it's like it all becomes one type of character it's like we still have that like you yeah. said dichotomy yeah everything seems very everything feels very relevant mm-hmm. um the relationships seem very relevant uh, nothing seems like it's just like pushing uh, the plot for no reason um mm-hmm. and it uh, and i do think that because of that um even though this is like a fun, goofy vampire movie, you do feel a little bit sympathetic toward her character. You know, she is a struggling mom. She's trying to make this happen. She's just got yeah. divorced. She's moved in with her father, who's also, you know, is living in humble, very humble means. And the last thing she needs is her son to become a vampire. Yeah. You know, what does what does her dad say? Something like, "I think you're the only woman I know who's not come out better after a divorce." Yeah. With having two kids, yeah, yeah, and I do think that they give her a a nice. Um, she's very endearing. Like even the uh, when she first meets Max, the who turns out to be yeah. spoiler alert the yeah. head vampire. <laughs> um, but uh, we don't know yet in the movie that the Lost Boys are his mm-hmm. sort of sons. In fact, so to what's speak. what's presented throughout the whole movie is that they're kind of a nuisance to him. Yeah, and uh, she. Uh, you know, they come into his video shop where she eventually starts working and he says something along the lines of, you know, I told, I thought I told you you guys not to come in here. And she was like, Oh, you know, they're just being kids, kids. you know, and they're probably doing the same thing that we were around that age. And just very understanding. And I think that, um, right away we, we get to the core of, she's been damaged from life, but she still has this like, She's Great looking for love. Yeah. Looking for love, wants to connect with someone, and she sees this nice man. And and making the most of her situation. Yeah. And it, and the thing is, is like it's so slight in the movie. It's so tiny, but yeah. it really, to me, is just all her scenes are great. And and again, I mean, it's she's an amazing actress, but at the same time, 
I think, again, Joel Schumacher, putting all these people together and trying to get these real performances out of a seemingly... (laughs) You a know, teen vampire yeah, flick. Yeah, teen vampire flick, which but, is what what it is. I mean, and, you know, it's but, a teen vampire flick. But we do get very good portrayals of, like, all of these characters. It, it isn't something that's superficial. We do have this mom that is that is going through a lot. And even even Jason's Patrick or Jason Patrick's character is going through, like, a metamorphosis of, of you know, of some kind. And even um, this being the beginning of, like, Corey Feldman and Corey Haim, that pairing. I mean, this was right after Stand By Me, I think, with Corey Feldman. Yeah, uh, and right after Lucas with right Corey Haim. Yeah. And we'll come, you, I'll, I'll come, I want to talk more about the... We're we'll going to get we'll, to that. We're going to get to some I guess what Corey I, stuff, but... All I'm saying is, like, the the legit, like, acting roles. Yeah. Well, let's go to, let's, let's, let's go to a clip with the Corys, sure. and then we'll, we'll come back All right. into the Corys, because I... I would almost. Uh, well, There's so much to talk about. Yeah, I was like thinking, like, should we do talk about the Corys with, you know? Some people but, might not know but this about is, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Yeah, and Feldman. this was the genesis of of them together. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we won't get too deep into it, but we'll we'll uh, brush up on the Corys. So we'll go to a clip. Sure. And uh, we'll come back. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. Are you guys sniffing old newsprint or something? You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Well, I'll tell you something. You don't know shit, buddy. Yeah. You think we just work in a comic book store for our folks, huh? Actually, I thought it was a bakery. This is just our cover. We're dedicated to a higher purpose. We're fighters for truth, justice, in the American way. Right. Hey, man. Read this. I told you, I don't like horror comics. Think of it more as a survival manual. There's a number on the back. And pray that you never need to call us. I'll pray I never need to call you. So that was a clip with uh, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. And uh, this was the first of, did you say eight movies that they eventually... Yeah, I don't think I counted, actually. I think it's more like 12. Okay, well, this was their first uh, film, and there was a moment, uh, if, if you don't know about this, and if you, if you know about it, you know about it for sure, but there was a moment in the late 80s where the Corys... Uh, became a thing it was like yeah. the Corys you know and was it because you know and you know it was kind of kitschy like because they both have the same name they both had like pretty they both hung big, out like, yeah they, they, were they were best friends you know they, but but they met on this movie and then they did a uh, license to drive and uh which was a kind of a hit you know like yeah. they, you know and they were like the highest paid teen actors of you which know which is crazy day. yeah um and then dream a little dream came after that yeah, and they were, uh, you know, core, both like kind of these like heartthrob teen, you know, total the, teen beat for the eighties. Yeah, for, for they were they were they were represented like you're the it, it boys. They, they yeah. Were, yeah, yeah, they, they were, were like cute. The top. They were and uh, probably very big into partying at this point. Yeah, so they were on the scene. And I think it, you can at post Dream a Little Dream. That was their third movie together. Mm-hmm. It kind of. They, they both kind of spiraled out of control and, you know, we won't get into the depressing parts of their Total. career, but yeah. uh, Corey Haim, you know, rest in peace, but yeah, for um, sure. I, 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 even I had a crush on Corey Haim more so than Corey Feldman personally, but yeah, Corey Haim. And b- but both of these, I think when, you know, growing up, they were, they were relatable, but they were, I mean, they were, they had like a little bit of geekiness, but they were also cool and confident and. I think they represented a lot of. I think that's why they worked, is because they were they were like the Seventeen magazine boy model that was like non-threatening. You didn't really have to worry about them necessarily, like. Yeah, and I and I also think too that they were. It, Corey Feldman maybe more so. Corey Feldman was a little bit more of a bad boy. I think Corey Feldman more so too. Like I think Corey Haim. 
I think that Corey Haim is an outstanding actor. And I think yeah. that, like, Corey Feldman, in his early roles, like, he kind of played himself. And even in Lost Boys, you know, he... he I think Stand By Me is, like, the best. Yeah, and in and, and Lost he, Boys, Corey Feldman, they're not having him dig too deep. But Corey Haim's... A lot of the movies that they did, Corey Haim would... Yeah. You know, he was the main character. But... I do think that they do. They do have this kinship. Uh, you can tell that they are good friends, and that shows in the movies that they did. And um, so, I think that makes this movie kind of special too. It was like this. Were they? Yeah, it was their like first the, movie the, together. Their first movie together. They do make a good team, you know, and because they're both different enough, um, like cute in their own ways, very different personality-wise, but still, like they have this. I don't, I, I don't want to say Abbott and Costello, but like it's sort of this like push and pull type of thing where that the best friends have. Like I said, or like we said before, we're not going to get into like the depressing part of their lives, um, but or Corey Haim's life. Um, I, I totally watched the show that they did together for like a year. Yeah. Um, the, what was it called? The it was like, I think it was just called The Two Corys okay. or The Corys. I think I saw a few episodes, but I didn't... It, it Not that you need to seek it out or anything, right, but if yeah. you find yourself real deep into wanting to know about Corey Haim and Corey Feldman, you might as well watch it. Um, I, as someone that really appreciated them in the 80s, um, it felt like everything was complete after that. Really? I mean, it was just a little bit more of an understanding. Okay. And, and then R.I.P. Like, Corey Haim. It I, it, it's not amazing, but if you love them, you would appreciate it. Okay. I'll, I, I'll check you it know. out. It's not my pick of the week, but right. But it's worth it. I mean, it was one season, so. I'm not going to be for what it's if worth. I don't like it, I'll... I'll <laughs> I'll just bring it up next yeah. time. That's our first fight. Why'd you make me watch that show? <laughs> our next podcast is just one big fight. <laughs> we we're going to talk about the movie, but what I'd like to air some grievances about the show you made me watch. <laughs> um, so enough about the Corys. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit. I, we talked a little bit about the vampire aspect of this film, but not too much about the mythology and I just I I want to note the movie Fright Night which we are both super fans of mm-hmm. um, and I know that's a movie that we'll probably do somewhere down the line here we love Fright Night I lo- I, yeah. and I want to note Fright Night because Fright Night came out in 85 and though maybe not as stylish and high end of a movie uh, I think it did open the door for Lost Boys. I think it did show that vampires can be cool and sexy and young and there can be humor and comedy and the m- mythology can be self-referential. Mm-hmm. And I think all of that is very evident in Lost Boys, but I think there's even some scenes in Lost Boys that are reminiscent of Fright Night, like he goes to the Frog Brothers for help because they are vampire quote unquote experts just the way Charlie and Friday night goes to To get get Peter Vincent to help him. Um, and we'll get, you know, we could spend a whole episode talking about Friday night. We would, uh, we will. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think lost boys is the, it brought vampire movies into the mainstream. I was also going to say that, um, in doing some research too, for this, and and I thought this while watching it that, I mean, I, as you know, I'm I'm a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, um, movie and the show. Um, that Joss Whedon did did to- will it freely admit stealing a little bit from Lost Boys, which is great. And when watching it, I couldn't help but think that Kiefer Sutherland looked like Spike, and like had that kind of like punk rocker billy idol like kind of look absolutely yeah and um also the the idea that a vampire and kind of stemming from fright night that you can have you can have sexy vampire um but that even more so in lost boys that we move to you still look human-like you're still human-like you just kind of have like these crazy exaggerated features and scary teeth and scary eyes 
like I would even say in Fright Night though, your your vampire is is much more monstrous. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, in Lost Boys, I would say up until they are maimed or killed, mm-hmm. they don't. They still kind of still have like an attractive like. quality to yeah. them. You know, still kind of hot. Yeah. I mean, you your face is a little messed up, but right, still kind of hot. But they do. I think uh, the I was reading the it's like the the guy that did the effects. Like he purposely made their teeth smaller, s- smaller, and like yeah. pearly white, so that they had them. <laughs> you know, this like attractive. You know, s- look course. to them, so you know that didn't, it didn't look scary or menacing. And- um, but what I think though is great about that. And what I do like about Lost Boys is that it's not going for this like graphic violent, though when there is violence, it's when they do like their first like feeding kill scene, mm-hmm. which is really the only real violent. I mean, this is a our movie, but I, I it's really, yeah, that's one thing that should be said. It's not really like that gory of a film yeah, at all. But when they do show that scene, I think because they've, uh, the movie isn't reliant on gore, like violence. When you mm-hmm. do see it, it does make it uh, all the more intense. You know, For that sure. scene is very intense. And it does show that though these vampires might, you might find them attractive and alluring, they are cold-blooded killers. You They're know? still going to be covered in blood yeah. on their faces. So we'll wrap up things with Lost Boys here soon um, and get to our pick of the week. But right. I kind of wanted to mention the, Music plays such a big part in this film. And a lot of 80s movies did this where they chose to go more of a pop music direction. Uh-huh. But a lot of times, you know, it's kind of used over montages. And, and certainly that's used in this film as well. Yeah, there but, are like too many montages. But, but I think that music pop music is used because they do have like an orchestrated score that blends really nicely in in between. Yes. You do have a lot of scenes with like the, like a diegetic soundtrack where Corey Haim is listening. He's singing along to the song on the radio in the bathtub. And uh, we talked about Tim Capello, like his original song, him performing it sure. when they're on the boardwalk. Um, and just the, the people, are the Echo and the Bunnymen, People Are Strange cover, which I love that cover of It's a that great song. cover. I like it better than the original. I do honestly. too. I do too. Yeah. Sorry if you're Sorry if you're a like, Doris fan, but yeah. the Echo and the Bunny Men yeah. it's it's really uh, good. And if you don't know who Echo and the Bunny Men are, I think you, you should, should really like, seek seriously them out just for now. Once this podcast just, is over. You can push pause yeah. to check out Echo and the Bunny Men yeah. right now. It's a great soundtrack and I think it is it it really mm-hmm. uh elevates the film. It's also a character in the film. This is a movie where I think the music plays as big of a part in it is the town probably yeah, yeah like just a character by itself so just something to note um great soundtrack if i was listening i've been jamming this on uh spotify recently <laughs> uh jamming but, that lost boy oh, soundtrack God, yeah. yeah like driving around and people are just like is that dude like i'm like <laughs> that guy listening to lost boys right just uh so <laughs> Are you just vision? Sorry. Imagine me just like. Let me finish that laugh. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just trying to temper it. Yeah. I mean, it's a great soundtrack. It's more just it like a- the thought of you, like what my my vision of you was like, with your seat way far back and like, kind of like you know. My sunglasses on. Sunglasses, one hand on the steering wheel, yeah. jamming that Lost Boys yeah. soundtrack. So. It was it was kind of influenced. You kind of nailed it. That's kind of how. This <laughs> is very influenced by the whole vibe of Santa Clara, California yeah, boardwalk. Exactly. Like it's it was really just. If it's all like sixty inspired. or above, I'm like the seat can't go farther back. I'm like. You're like twenty feet tall. It's like too, even though so I've driven the same that. car for like fifteen years, I still test it to see like does it does it is there one extra click that I can go back. Um. Music plays a huge part in this movie. I really it think does. that the it's a great soundtrack. If you know, uh, Lost Boys, it, it, if you haven't seen it, 
check it out and um if you have seen it i'm sure it, you know it's a beloved it's classic. worth revisiting it's a, it's, it, i consider it a classic like like we said at the beginning this movie really doesn't lose any steam or um other than the obvious fashion and hair decisions there's really nothing about this movie that doesn't hold up and I mean, even the fashion and the hair decisions, I'm like, yeah, bring that back. Yeah, actually. yeah. I mean, if I had the 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 confidence or the, I mean, those know. mullets are yeah. intense. Yeah. They're great. Um, and uh, one hell of an ending. You know, we were we were talking about the. Yeah. You know, you, you just you can't uh, you can't beat that. Well, you know, what a great ending with a grandpa, <laughs> just sort of uh, words of wisdom. Yeah, you know? words of wisdom. Yeah. The the guy that's been there the whole time. One thing about living in Santa Carla, I never could stomach. All the damn vampires. So our pick of the week, every podcast we're going to try to just very briefly do a, a movie that we've picked for the podcast that we can relate it to our main discussion and one that deserves a little love or maybe one that was... Could be forgotten about. Yeah, it could be forgotten about. So, Lindsay, your pick of the week was Lethal Weapon. Can you tell me what uh, what made you pick this movie? Yeah. All right. So my pick this week mainly stems out of my love for this female pioneer that worked for so long in the film industry, uh, Marion Doherty. She was the casting director for The Lost Boys and also for my pick this week, which is Lethal Weapon. She frequently worked with Richard Donner, who was the executive producer on The Lost Boys and also directed Lethal Weapon. And I believe he was actually originally set to direct Lost Boys 2, but it conflicted with Lethal Weapon. Um, So the reason I've even noticed her name is because she always casts Mel Gibson in movies. And my mom is a giant Mel Gibson fan. So, of course, I'm going to notice her name in the credits over and over and over again when I see Mel Gibson movies. Um, so she also she passed away in 2013, but evidently um, I wasn't the only person, the little person in Nowhere, Missouri, that noticed her. Obviously, her expertise in casting was something that was highly appreciated in in the industry, and there's even a documentary that's been made about her. So why did I pick Lethal Weapon this week? The whole buddy cop movie genre is is a thing by itself. Typically, something that has humor, adventure. And a serious undertone of realness to it. Now, Doherty kicked new life into this by encouraging the interracial casting of the lead roles in Lethal Weapon. In fact, uh, it was she, it it was her that suggested uh, Danny Glover uh, as one of the lead roles. And it was Richard Donner that responded, but he's black. And she said, "Um, there's nothing in the script that says he can't be played by a black actor, though. Now, Donner freely admits that this comment was short-sighted and totally credits Doherty with being responsible for the unique dynamic between Glover and Gibson, and her keen eye and understanding is what truly helped Lethal Weapon to become so successful. I mean, I think I'd had four sequels, or two, or three sequels, rather. Um, Now, while a lot of movies to come after Lethal Weapon have relied mainly on the contrasting stereotypical differences between black and white male cops. I don't feel like Lethal Weapon ever truly relied on this. Every time I watch it, I feel like it's a legit buddy cop movie, two equals, two men uh, who are specific to their characters and not being made to rely on their ethnic differences or even for comedic value or for any reason. I think it's a solid movie and the humor between Mel Gibson and Danny Glover is always what sticks out to me, honestly. Um, yes, it's about police life, violence, families, solving a mysterious suicide that leads to a huge drug ring, of course. Um, it's an action movie, but with an element of friendship guiding the whole thing and giving it heart. Glover and Gibson are convincing and, and even throughout all of the sequels. Now... Marion Doherty is said to be responsible for giving chances to actors like uh, like Danny Glover and but also like Robert Redford, Al Pacino, uh, Glenn Close, Bette Midler, James Dean, Dustin Hoffman, Robert Duvall, uh, so many people. The woman could spot a good script and 
has an unrivaled expertise in knowing how to cast a movie. Lethal Weapon is such a great example of this. And for me, it's still a solid action movie, even in 2017. I don't know. How do you feel? Uh, so I watched uh, Lethal Weapon about two years ago. Well, you said it, because I do think it is one where it's, it doesn't play up their ethnic differences for comedy. That's not where the comedy lies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a, it's a straight-up solid action film um, I, with an incredible opening. Yeah. You know. An unexpected opening, I would yeah. say. Like the... Also, another thing with Richard Donner movies is that sometimes they seem to have like some type of Christmas theme. Yeah, and this, yeah, the, this one is. I watched. Yeah, it was it was around Christmas. When yeah, we watched it. um, the opening of Lethal Weapon is unlike the rest of the movie, but it is very solid and very effective. Yeah, and uh, written by uh, Shane Black, who co-wrote one of our faves. Yeah, I I noticed that, and I. <laughs> Monster I, Squad. Yeah, I when I was rewatching it, I saw that and I was like, "Wait, is that the same Shane Black? No way." Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so what's what's your pick of the week, Justin? So my pick of the week is Lucas. It was a 1986 film starring Corey Haim, and this was Corey Haim's uh, sort of breakout role. He had done a few minor roles. Um, he did Murphy's Romance with Sally Field, and he did Silver Bullet. Um, and though he was good in those movies, uh, uh, you know, he plays the, the main character. I mean, he's, this movie is all about him. I love this movie and I don't think that it is classic iconic film because it does get a little muddled. It does kind of fall into these tropes, but man, the first 30 minutes of this movie are great. And this is your typical high school coming of age movie. Corey Haim plays Lucas. Who's, he's a 14 year old kid. Who's, school's getting ready to start and he meets this girl who's 16 and he it's his first crush you know he falls for her and she finds him interesting because even though he is kind of nerdy and dorky and says weird stuff and he's awkward and shy he's very intelligent he's very in tune to human emotions and real thoughts and real talks and so they immediately have like a connection they basically become best friends and then when school starts she realizes that he's the the person everybody picks on they call him luca plachio which is cancer of the mouth and the only person who of the football team that are the main people that pick on him uh charlie sheen plays this character called cappy uh and for some reason it's later revealed that Luke or Lucas helped him out when he was sick. He brought him his homework, but Charlie Sheen kind of sticks up for him. But eventually Charlie Sheen and Lucas's crush, uh, Maggie fall for each other and Lucas feels betrayed. Um, and it's kind of heartbreaking, but up until they get to the movie starts where summer's almost ending and what I love about this movie is the in, the relationship between Lucas and Maggie. They have all these very real human talks. It feels teenagers that aren't just one-dimensional. Um, in something to note about Corey Haim, he really carries this movie. I mean, uh, it's interesting. Like, he was offered the role, the River Phoenix role in Stand By Me, the same day that he was offered the role for Lucas. And naturally he took Lucas because he's the main character. Uh, but the thing is, is like he, that's, I think he is that great. I think he, he was seen as that, as, as the river Phoenix, you know, as, as a serious child actor. Um, so he turns down the role of stand by me and it's, and even uh, people have asked him about it. He says that he does not regret it. Uh, Lucas was his, you know, really catapulted him in to uh, start. He's just so impressive in this movie. Uh, it really makes you sad when you see how his career turned out because he is so impressive in this film. He is so endearing. And a lot of the movie really captures to me, at least personally, the way first crushes can be, the way heartbreak can be when you're young, the way like everything is in the moments. Uh, 
you, you can't see beyond <laughs> your emotions and it really does uh it feels very genuine uh, written and directed by david seltzer who he didn't really go on, he was mainly like a Hollywood writer, but this was his one of his first big directing gigs, and I thought he did a really nice job. It's a very simple film, and is very heartfelt. Um, and then I also wanted to mention too the just because we're talking about casting, uh, this is another film too where it's like one of the first roles of Winona Ryder, first roles of Courtney Thorne Smith, Charlie Sheen. But in talking about Corey Haim in when after I watched Lucas and was kind of going into researching the later part of Corey Haim's career, uh, you really do this movie. He he's just you just see the spark. You see like someone who's like so aware, like such a good actors that this isn't someone just playing himself. Um, he's really brought a character off the page. And I don't normally like, I don't want to do a thing where I reference other critics or what they've said, but I am going to this. I know it's only our second podcast and, but I stumbled upon, uh, Roger Ebert's review of the movie for this role. And I mean, it's so spot on and I couldn't agree more. Uh, he said that Corey Haim creates one of the most three dimensional, complicated, interesting characters of any age in any recent movie. If he can continue to act as well, he will never become a half-forgotten child star, but will continue to grow into an important actor. Oh, that is so sweet! Uh, wow. But but man, like, um, but yeah, just such a, it's a great movie. Check it out if anything, just for Corey Ames' performance. You know, you're you're not the first person that I know that has said how much they love this movie. So you're you're not alone in that. Yeah, it is, it's a very endearing movie, and I do yeah, think it's, it's very one. Sweet. I it think really it is, is one that's it's a little bit forgotten. I don't. It's not one that ever really Hands comes down, up, and definitely it is a it's one gem. that uh, hopefully is that, that that people will will seek out. Yeah, thanks, Justin, for that one. Yeah, absolutely. I'll try and get emotional on my pick of the week for next time. <laughs> Please do. So we're coming to the final part of our podcast here, which we've uh, called our Murray moments, mm-hmm. and uh, this is always on Lindsay here. I never know which how you're <laughs> going to connect. <laughs> Uh, Bill Murray to one of the movies and uh, I certainly (laughs) didn't know how you're going to connect Bill Murray to (laughs) Lost Boys so what do you have for us I'm curious chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear and when I do it's usually something unusual I think I need a root canal I'm sure I need a long slow root canal you're going to come and shake my monkey tree again Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. That was fun. So, as mentioned in last week's podcast, uh, Bill Murray went on a four-year hiatus after his first true dramatic film, The Razor's Edge, was a complete flop. But then, in 1988... Uh, Billy reemerged with Richard Donner's Scrooged, a dark comedic version of the Charles Dickens classic A Christmas Carol. In his previous films, Billy had always had an ensemble uh, cast to back him up, whether it was Ghostbusters, Caddyshack, Stripes, but with Scrooged, he had to carry this one like a hundred percent. Maybe left over from his Razor's Edge days, maybe not. But Billy forced a lot of reworking to happen before the actual, um, or before he actually settled into playing his role in Scrooged. Um, he loved the idea of a funny Ebenezer Scrooge story, but really helped tease out the relationship aspect of the film as well as the scenes involving uh, the family of his character. And if you know this movie, you know that therein lies the heart of the film in the relationships that Billy's character has with his former girlfriend and his family. It's the whole point of the movie, really. And as an aside, it's also fun to know that some um, that some of uh, Bill Murray's real-life brothers actually play his brothers in the movie, too. That's I always kind of love that little tidbit. Now, there were some conflicts between Richard Donner and Billy. Uh, Donner said that trying to work with him um, on his ad-libbing, ad-libbing scenes was like trying to direct uh, 
42nd Street and Broadway traffic in New York while the traffic lights were out. But um, the cuts and the changes that were made to the film worked incredibly well and made a totally cohesive film, in my opinion. The dark comedy aspect mixed with a heartfelt drama underneath is what makes this movie so terrific. The final scene where Billy's character ultimately realizes he's been a miserable, uncaring jerk his whole life, when that started and why, facing his past, coming to terms and making amends, it's actually a really powerful scene. Now, although he's playing it with a smile, he's doing it with tears in his eyes. It makes me well up every time, honestly. And Donner said of that final scene, I saw something happen to Billy. I saw Billy Murray become an actor. For me, as someone that loves that guy, like, I totally see exactly what Richard Donner's saying. Whether it was the self-imposed four-year exile from showbiz or not, something happened to our guy. I adored him before, but after Scrooge, I felt a, like this weird kinship with him. After years of feeling like his humor was the only humor I understood, this man actually moved me. Something that the entire world has come to know now in the newer era of his career. So um, if you haven't seen Scrooge, definitely check it out. It's um, one of my like most favorite roles, I would actually say, of Bill Murray. Really? Wow. I, yeah, you know, I, for I, sure. I hadn't seen Scrooge in a while, but this last Christmas I... And I totally forgot that Richard Donner, uh, executive or he was a director directed, of this one, directed it. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. So that's your favorite Bill Murray movie. I don't know if I would say it's or not my movie favorite. But favorite. I don't know if it's my favorite. Um, but I I would say that your it's favorite role of his. It it's certainly up there. Um, interesting. I really appreciate. Um, I think even like, and it's so. Like now, him combining like dramatics with with being very dryly funny, it's what everyone's used to. It's like what he does. It's what he's always done. But like Scrooge for me is um like the epitome of that. It's um there's a lot of heart in that one. Yeah, I guess it is. I I it's pretty friggin' dark too. It is. Well, like, that's a, that's why I was uh, surprised because it is his most. Uh, I would say uh, the first twenty minutes that. Yeah, he's a jerk. The first twenty minutes that it's it's pretty rough. It's yeah. It's he's so unlikable. It's almost yeah. Uh, but I guess once those layers start getting peeled, you. And I I think the the that's like what Richard Donner mentioned that you know um the whole movie was contingent upon the last scene of that movie and that is the scene in which you know bill murray's character is confessing to a live tv audience like you know i've been a total jerk my whole life and this is what you need to appreciate as a person this is what i realize finally now and like i'm a better person and i just want to explode because i can't even realize it fully um i don't know it's um I also love Karen Allen. There's a lot yeah. of things in Scrooge no, that, it, that that I love. To me, it's one of the. I that's a movie. I think if somebody else was in it, played the main mm-hmm. lead, it's not a movie that I'd probably yeah. watch. I'm, I'm not a. I'm admittedly not a gigantic fan of the holiday of Christmas. Sure. So even Christmas, and the only time I watch it, any kind of Christmas movies that are around Christmas, but that particular movie bill murray's like yeah is what gets me to it doesn't even it. like i know that it's called scrooged and yes it is a christmas movie you could say but like i this might be a little too abstract here but like i associate the color black with this movie like this movie okay. is like dark it is it is dark it's not like a holly jolly type of thing um if anything, yes, there is something that the, there is a positive message at the end, um, but it's certainly not like a family movie. I yeah. would say family and, holiday movie. Yeah, well, I think there is something to be said for going. I mean, it's bold and mm-hmm. it's bold in the sense of if you if you any movie I think that p- paints a character in such a negative light. Sure. For more than like. 10 minutes yeah. <laughs> is a you, risk. It's, it's a risk. Yeah. It's a risk. I mean, as a yeah. big budget 
yeah. Hollywood film, you run the risk of letting your audience despise the character so much so that much. you can't bring him back. Yeah. You can't turn him around. Um, yeah. And they go pretty far. They really do. They, uh, go, they, they go for a while and Scrooge uh, and before I, they start trying to turn it around. I guess the, I guess, I guess the reason that this like was the Murray moment this time around is, is, is just because he like last week. Yeah. We talked about how he disappeared from acting for four years and now we have the reemergence of him in this character that is come out of a full, like done a complete 180 on who they are as a person and realized something deeper within themselves. So, I mean, not to get like too deep on the Murray moment here, but like it's kind of, um, it's kind of amazing to me that like this was the role that he chose to come back with after he had been absent. Yeah. I never really thought about the idea that, yeah, that he, uh, and he had to carry it himself. Failure, failed film, and then yeah, took time off, and then this a peculiar choice to totally weird movie yeah. to try and do like when you're entering acting. Interesting. Again. See, that's why I'm glad. You know, I'm glad you don't <laughs> tell me about this before. <laughs> but then it's always like I'm, uh, you know, we're recording. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know. I've got to go back. Yeah, well, cool, I'll, wait, I'll wait till next Christmas, and then I'll, you know, well, we can relive it maybe next year together yeah um well that's it for the murray moment and it's pretty much it for the podcast uh one last thing on lost boys that i will say and this might be seem a little bit arbitrary to bring up at this point never uh we're both have dogs and are big dog lovers and uh one of the things in this movie that before i had a dog i never really noticed is when Corey hames taking the bath and his brother is going to come up the stairs to I don't know presumably possi- kill him yeah, or presumably something presumably like I guess. feed on him yeah. or like you know he's he's it's he's getting his first craving where he needs blood yeah and uh Corey Haim's dog is like sitting on the bathroom floor while Corey Haim's taking the bath and the dog uh, jumps on Jason Patrick's character and bites his hand and Jason Patrick's like wow or no, he's like, what'd you do to my dog? And he's like, he's like, I didn't do anything. She, you know, it's it's my blood. She bit me, and then you know, he says she was protecting you, and it's just this instinct. And I think it's been in movies before where dogs can sense evil, mm-hmm. it, just like they can in real life. If I'm walking my dog, totally. In, late That's why at I'm night. so offended if a dog like barks at me like viciously. I'm like, yeah. what's wrong with me? Right? Yeah. Yeah. What do they sense? Yeah. Um, what's wrong with me today? So kind of arbitrary but that was is something you know a little thing with uh lost boys that i really liked among many other things i think the dog is a, is a significant character in this movie there are two dogs in this movie that are both function as protectors there's the yes t- yeah family dog and That's then right. the the dog of the the dog that protects uh, the head vampire head vampire while he sleeps mm-hmm. so it's about all the time we have for the podcast uh, again uh, if you've never seen The Lost Boys, I hope this discussion made you want to seek it out. Uh, or if you're a huge fan of The Lost Boys, we hope that you maybe you found found or heard something that you you know made you think about it or something information that you didn't know. It's such a fun movie. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's an endearing film. I really enjoy it. Really it. Is. Next podcast, uh, we're going in a completely different direction. I'm excited about this. Uh, we will be doing reality bites. Um, and again, these are films, when we do this podcast, uh, for our main topic of discussion, mm-hmm. we really have a connection to these, and we try to find films that both of us love equally in mm-hmm. passion, so that, yeah. uh, you know, it leads to a fun discussion. Um, so we hope that's that's coming across. You can let us know if it is or not. You can reach us at don'tpushpausepodcast yeah. at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram. Don't push pause podcast. Definitely let um, us know. Let us know uh, what you think. If you like the show, if you have suggestions for movies, we're still trying to figure out uh, what we're gonna have. We got some ideas coming up. Yeah, we got some ideas. We you got know, some but ideas. Well, we're we're trying to around. keep. You know, we 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 like to have some variety. Yeah, yeah. Which I think we're 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 doing now with reality bites. Yeah. So yeah. I, I look forward to that. I look for I, one thing I like about these is when we pick a movie, it's just fun to sit down and 
I'll watch it multiple times and kind of totally get really more involved in watching it and thinking about in it in a whole than different I way. Would. Yeah, in an entirely it, different yeah. way. So we hope you listen to this and you feel the same. That's all the time we have. I'm Justin Johnson. I'm Lindsay Reaper. This is Don't Push Pause. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you so much.